Scripture reading this evening we read from Luke chapter 22, 39 through 42. Luke 22, 39 through 42. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about about a stone throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence tonight. We're going to be looking at Luke 22 in just a moment. We're very thankful for your presence. To those of you who are visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're grateful that our young people are back. I trust that they had a great weekend away, and we hope that they learned a lot, enjoyed time spent together, and as parents, I know you're semi-glad that they're home, but nonetheless, it is what it is. We're going to be looking at Luke 22, and I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, Have You Been to Gethsemane Lately? The two songs that we sang a moment ago reminded us of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew, Mark, and Luke provide insight into the anguish that Jesus experienced before going to the cross of Calvary. And each of the writers provide vivid details of Jesus in the garden. And no doubt, a lot was weighing upon him as the cross loomed before him. As we ask the question, have you been to Gethsemane lately? Jesus, of course, had a Gethsemane experience. And for many of us as members of the human family, whether we realize it or not, we too, from time to time, have those Gethsemane experiences. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. The first thing that I want to do is to call your attention to the forces that led to Gethsemane. I said a moment ago that the cross was looming before Jesus. And really in the shadow of the cross, we find the Lord in the garden. And they're praying to God the Father. And as we look at Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, one of the things I think is reflected in this account in his life is his humanity. And maybe it is the case that sometimes we forget that Jesus was clothed upon with human flesh, that he did indeed taste of human flesh for all of us. He experienced the joys, the frustrations, the highs and the lows of life. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, he was tempted in all points like as we. And yet, as you well know, he remained above sin. The humanity of Jesus, I think, was set forth by the Hebrew writer in chapter 5 at verse 7 when he spoke of Jesus and said, Who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and he was heard in that he feared. And so here you have insight into the heart of Jesus as he experienced Gethsemane and as he faced the cross. Now, as we contemplate Gethsemane and the Gethsemane ex experience by Jesus, let me just call attention to what the writers, the gospel writers say 
concerning the emotional state of Jesus while in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now in verse 39 of chapter 22, the passage that was read a moment ago by Jordan, Luke said, and coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. If you go back and you look at Matthew's account, you'll find in Matthew chapter 26 at verse 37 that Jesus began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Again, I think Matthew providing insight into the heart to the emotional state of Jesus as he looked toward the cross. And then Mark in his account, in Mark chapter 14, verse 34, Mark would say, speaking of Jesus and quoting Jesus, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. And then Luke, in the context that we're looking at here, the Bible tells us that Jesus being in agony. And so we get, we get insight into the feelings of Jesus as he approached the cross. And as we talk about the looming cross and the fact that Jesus was going to literally give his life as a ransom for mankind. And I think that really when you, when you boil it all down and begin to look at the heart, at the heart of Jesus and, and the cross before him, that which no doubt upset him the most was the fact that he knew that he and his father would be separated. And so while on the cross we hear him cry on one occasion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in light of the humanity of Jesus that was reflected in the Garden of Gethsemane, I want to suggest that as members of the human family, we too from time to, fi from time, to time face our own Gethsemanes. Let me just cite for you some of the things that you and I as members of the human family face on a regular basis. Let me begin by suggesting that we are all confronted with trouble. Now, trouble can come in many forms and many shapes. And there are any number of troubles that plague those of us who belong to the human family. Job would say in Job 14, verse 1, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And if you look at the life of Job, you'll see a man who in many respects pictured trouble. I mean, if, if you look at, at the first two chapters, for example, in the book of Job, you find a man that lost ten children, and then he lost a great deal of his wealth, his flocks and herds, his servants. In chapter 2, we find that Job experienced boils covering his entire body from head to toe. His own wife said, curse God, and die. In the latter part of chapter 2, when his three friends came to comfort him and mourn with him, the Bible tells us that when they lifted up their eyes and saw him, they didn't recognize him. Now, what that tells me is that when you, if you and I had been present on that occasion and we had come face to face with Job, we would have left his presence and said to one another, boy, he looked bad, didn't he? We would have talked about how bad Job looked. And listen, he had every right to look bad. Here was a man that was weighed down by the troubles of life. I have never met an individual in the human family that is in my lifetime. I've never met anybody that has experienced the depth of loss 
that Job experienced. Now, I'm sure that there are people out there that have faced horrible tragedies in life. But for me, Job was quite an individual to think about all that he bore. And then I'm reminded of the trials that we face as Christians. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible talks about the Christians in the first century who were facing or being grieved by various trials. And I believe that the trials that they were facing or encountering were a result of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus said, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just because you and I belong to the body of Christ does not exempt us from trials. As a matter of fact, it is probably the case that because of our faith, we are going to suffer because the Apostle Paul said, all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so as members of the human family, we talk about the Gethsemanes that we may face. Well, we may face the Gethsemane of trouble. We may face the Gethsemane of trial. But then there is a third Gethsemane that all of us are familiar with, and that is sickness or illness. In 2 Kings chapter 20, and this is probably the best example that I can think of, we read of Isaiah the prophet being instructed by Almighty God to go and to talk to the king. Isaiah is, has been dispatched to go and to stand before King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the good kings in the history of Israel. And God said through the prophet, set your house in order for you will die and not live. Now you want to talk about getting your attention. Go to the doctor this week and let him tell you face to face, eye to eye, you're going to die and not live. He'd have my attention. And he got Hezekiah's attention. And so how did Hezekiah deal with the words of the prophet. The Bible says immediately he turned his face to the wall and prayed. And so here was a man that was facing some very difficult moments in his life. And you and I, we live in a world that is subjected to illness, to disease, and there are many, many people all across our world, young and old, black and white, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, that are dealing with any number of sicknesses and illnesses Human disease, it plagues the human family. And so we live in a world that's just subjected to those kind of things. And we can go back to the Garden of Eden. We see the inception of sin as a result of Adam and Eve succumbing to temptation. And literally the floodgate was opened. And down through time, mankind has faced illness, disease, sickness, heartache, sorrow, trials, and trouble. And then there is another Gethsemane that we experience and that is the loss of a loved one. In John chapter 11, we read of Jesus being told that Lazarus, his friend, was sick. Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die. Lazarus did die. And so when Jesus came to be with Mary and Martha and ultimately raise him from the dead, we find, Mar we find Martha, first of all, encountering the Lord. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Mary 
comes to Jesus. And she echoes the same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11 that Jesus wept. Not only did Jesus weep on that occasion, but many people wept. And there are any number of reasons why the Lord may have wept on that occasion, but I think about what death has done to the human family. What the devil has done to the human family is wreck heartache and sorrow and ruin. And death, as you well know, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, is a result of sin. Mankind, well, the bottom line is this, as members of the human family, we're not going to get out of this world alive unless Jesus comes first. Death will surely come. And the Bible tells us it is appointed that a man wants to die, after this cometh the judgment. So we're all going to die at some point in time. All of us have probably experienced the loss of a loved one. And yet, couched in death are the words of Jesus. When he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then there is a fifth Gethsemane that we experience from time to time. And that is the Gethsemane of loneliness. There are a lot of people in our world that are lonely, that feel as if they are secluded from friends and family members. And there are a lot of bad things that, that we can face in life. And there are a lot of people that have any number of troubles and trials. But loneliness can weigh heavily upon an individual. If you go back and look at Psalm 102, the psalmist speaks of the heartache associated with loneliness. He talked about the pelican of the wilderness, the owl of the desert. And he said, I lie awake and am like a sparrow alone on the housetop. Here is the psalmist talking about the loneliness that he felt during his lifetime. And there are people all across this city, all across this state, all across our nation, all across the globe that are lonely for one reason or another. And so that is a Gethsemane that you and I, that we may, that we may bear as members of the human family. But I want you to think with me in the second place now about the Father who leads us through Gethsemane. And I believe that the Heavenly Father led Jesus through Gethsemane and he will lead us through our Gethsemanes. And so we talk about the loving care of our Father. And I would remind you of what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. If you don't have this verse marked or underlined in your Bible, you ought to underline it. Because the Bible says, casting all your care on him for he cares for you. That ought to be a verse that encourages all of us. Well, what about the actions of Jesus in Gethsemane? How did Jesus react with the cross looming before him? Well, in verses 40 and following, we find how Jesus reacted to the cross. First of all, I would suggest unto you that he solicited support. Go back and look with me at verse 39. In verse 39, Luke said, and coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. Now we know from reading Matthew 
that he took with him, Peter, James, and John. And, and if you look at the relationship that Jesus enjoyed with, with these three disciples, I think you, could, you would conclude that they were very close friends. Some have suggested that they formed kind of the inner three, if you please. And so there was this close-knit relationship that Jesus experienced with these three men, Peter, James, and John. Back in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus went up onto the mountaintop and was transfigured, the Bible tells us on that occasion he took Peter, James, and John. And so here were three men that Jesus no doubt had a bond with. He trusted these men. And so as he approaches the cross, what does he do? He solicits their support. And so he brings them into the Garden of Gethsemane with him. And I guess by way of application, here's what, here's what I think about. In times of, of difficulty, when we face the Gethsemanes of life, we need support, don't we? I do not know of anyone that does not need the support of others. Now, there may be some individuals in our world that can make it all alone, and maybe they are an exception to the rule. But most of us, by and large, we need support. Whether it be a family member, a friend, a coworker, somebody we go to school with, we need somebody standing shoulder to shoulder, side by side. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 18. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When the difficulties of life encroach upon you, one of the things you need, you need somebody that's going to be a support system. And so Jesus took these three men, and I think the reason he did, he, he brought them along with him to support him. Matthew tells us that when they got into the garden, he said, stay here with me and watch with me. So no doubt he wanted their presence. Now Paul would say in Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul would say in Romans 12, verse 15, that we are to weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice. What, what, what's Paul saying there? He's simply saying that you and I, we can be allies. We can be a support system for one another. There is a second thing that Jesus did when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Not only did he solicit their support, but I believe he sought solitude. Now, that, that may be somewhat conflicting in your mind. How could Jesus want support but also want solitude? Well, look, if you would, at verse 40. The text says, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. We can be in the presence of people and we can have our friends, our family members, our, we can have this support system around us, but still find solitude and, and look for places of solitude. And I would connect to this idea his supplications, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. There are times in life when what we need to do is withdraw and find a quiet place, maybe meditate, Ponder certain passages of scripture. Think about God, the need for God in our lives, the need for his presence in our lives 
as we undergo these, these difficult moments or difficult circumstances. In Psalm 46, the psalmist said, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In verse 10 of Psalm 46, the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes what we need to do is withdraw like Jesus did. We've got our, our support system around us, but we still withdraw. We step back and we remind ourselves that God is still in control, that God is on his throne. He is still ruling and reigning. Things have not changed from that vantage point. And I believe that, that we have the presence of God in our lives on a daily basis. The Hebrew writer assured us in the long ago, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God is going, is going to, to be there for us. And so Jesus solicited support. He sought solitude and then his supplications. In verse 40, he instructed the disciples to pray that they would not enter into temptation. In verse 41, the Bible says he knelt down and prayed. In verse 42, here's what Jesus prayed. Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven strengthening him. Now look at verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So here's Jesus, the cross is looming before him. He's about to give himself as a ransom for the sins of the human family. He's gonna be separated from his father in heaven because of the weight of sin, because he's going to literally bear our sins in his body on the tree, as Peter would say. He's going to redeem us by the shedding of his blood, as Peter would say in 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and following. And so, in the midst of all of this, the emotional state of Jesus is such that he turns to the heavenly Father and he prays. And Matthew tells us three times he prayed to God the Father. Luke tells us that he was in agony. And while agonizing over the cross before him, he prayed more earnestly. Now I know that I said this last week and I want to reemphasize it this week. If Jesus believed in the power of prayer, what does that say to us? What should that say to us? It tells me that if Jesus relied on prayer, then I ought to believe in the power of prayer. I ought to recognize the importance of prayer regularly. Was it not Jesus that said men ought always to pray and not to faint? Look at the weight that Jesus was shouldering on this occasion. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying to God the Father. He's asking him, look, if there's any other way that your will can be accomplished, if there is some other way, let that way come to pass. Jesus is pouring his heart out to Almighty God. He is praying in agony. And in agony, he prays more earnestly. What Jesus was saying in Luke 18, 1 is, look, if you don't believe in the power of prayer and you don't trust in prayer, you're not going to make it in all probability. Listen again, he said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. The trials and the, the toils of life, 
The, the various things that we experience on this earth, they can, they can literally put us on the mat. And Jesus is saying that the way to combat the difficulties of life, pray. That's why Paul said, pray without ceasing. That's why he would say to the Colossians in the long ago, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. That's why he would say to the saints in Philippi, in nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now go back again to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, where the Hebrew writer said, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. Does Jesus understand when tears are flowing down my cheeks? You better believe he does. Does Jesus understand when I am weighed down with the sorrows and the heartaches and the toils and the trials of life? You know he does. Why? Because he's been there. He's experienced that. And so he prayed. The persistence of Jesus in prayer. Three times, as I said a moment ago, Jesus prayed to God the Father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But there's a second thing we see in the garden. Not only are we confronted with his actions, but note if you would, the acceptance of Jesus in Gethsemane. This is a hard part. Go back again and look at verse 42. In verse 42, here's what Jesus said. Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. All of us are going to have our Gethsemane experiences. We're all going to face difficulties in life. Some of the difficulties that we, that we face in life may be of greater magnitude than others. But the question is this. How are we going to get through it? Ultimately, I believe we have to resign ourselves to the will of God. Whatever comes to pass, we have to relinquish our will in lieu of God's will. Jesus, on this occasion, is praying to God the Father, as I said just a moment ago. And he's saying to God, if there's any other way, if there's some other way that you can somehow bring this redemptive plan to pass, let that come to pass. But, the bottom line, let your will be done. How many of us have the courage to pray to God, not my will, but your will be done? Learning to submit to the will of God. The Bible tells us with regard to Jesus that he became obedient even unto death. Jesus demonstrated a submissive spirit throughout his life. His submission was seen throughout his ministry and as he faced the cross. And you and I, we have to learn to accept the will of God come what may. John said in 1 John chapter 5, this is a confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, we have the petitions that we've asked of him. It's not always easy asking that God's will take precedence, but that's what we are instructed to do. So here's the question. When you and I face the Gethsemanes of life, and we cited some of the Gethsemanes that we face on a regular basis, 
how are we going to get through Gethsemane? I believe that you and I will get through our Gethsemanes the same way Jesus got through his Gethsemane experience. And how was that? By looking to God the Father. God the Father is our refuge. He is a very present help in trouble. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 46 at verse 10. Those words are as true today as they were the day they were penned by the psalmist. And so learning to trust in God. We've looked at some of the forces that will, that will lead to Gethsemane, that did lead to Gethsemane on the part of Jesus. But the real question is, how are we going to get through Gethsemane? And my response would be, we have to turn to God. We have to look to the Heavenly Father. I would close by reminding you of what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It is a mountaintop verse because Peter said, casting all your care on him. That's what Jesus did. Why? Because he cares for you. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe your life is not what it ought to be. Then what the Lord would have you to do is to become a part of his family. You see, God sent his son to die for your sins. We talked about Jesus going to Gethsemane. Jesus went to the cross so that you and I might have the hope of life eternal. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe that Jesus is the son of God, John 8, 24. The Bible says that you also must repent, Acts 2, verse 38. Confess the name of Jesus before others, Matthew 10, 32. The Bible then tells us we are to be immersed in water so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. When we do that, God then adds us to the church, his body. And the beauty of being in the body is he is the Savior. That is, Christ is the Savior of that body. So when you're in the church, you're among the saved. You're a part of the redeemed. And then just be faithful until death. And the promise is the crown of life. If you're here tonight, you're not faithful to his cause. Could we pray with you and for you, knowing that God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.